Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Car Ride Conversations. This, of course, is the segment where I bring the podcast to my guests. I'm doing this during the election period here in Quebec that is going all the way up until the 3rd of October. It gives me the chance to meet different candidates from all parties, uh, to exchange with them, and to bring you this information and hopefully the value. Today, I will be in the riding of Darcy McGee. This is in the region of Montreal. And we'll be talking with the liberal candidate, Elizabeth Press. Enjoy the podcast. Elizabeth Press, thank you uh, so much for doing this. Uh, first of all, it's so good to see you. You too. And you have no idea how thrilled I was when I saw your name coming down. As, uh, as the candidate here in Darcy McGee. Jesus, man, I was so happy. How's it going? It's going good, thank you. Uh, I was really excited too. I grew up in this riding. Uh, my son still goes to school in the riding, my special needs son, and my mom lives here. So it was really an honor to, to be asked, uh, you know, to represent where you came from and uh, the people that you've lived with in the community that you've shared for so many years. So it was really, uh, it was really an honor. See, now, people are going to get to know you or they've already gotten to know you uh, during the campaign from your door-to-door and all that stuff, but people like me have known you for a much longer time. I mean, you're not a newcomer in politics. This is new to you. Uh, tell me a little bit about, you know, the, that whole interest in you. Like, when did this start for you? I, I remember I came in 2007. I believe you were already there. I did. I arrived in 2007. Oh, you came in 2007 yeah. as well? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I uh, sorry. No. Two thousand six. Two thousand six. Yeah. Oh, okay. So slightly before me. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, there's, there, I mean, it's, it, there's a long involvement there in politics. How did, how did it start for you? How did that interest grow, and what pushed you to just get into politics? Yeah. Well, when I <laughs> sounds a little weird, but when I was a kid, I was about twelve years old. My favorite channel was CNN. <laughs> um, so it's been in me in a long time. My mom, when I was a kid, we always watched the news together at night and uh, really instilled the importance of understanding and being aware of what's going on and wanting to give back. Uh, so when I had an opportunity, my first job in politics was as policy advisor for the status of women. And um, I really always wanted to get involved in politics to, to give back because you need people who understand the issues and who genuinely care and who want to make a difference. And so when I had the opportunity to move to Quebec City, and so I was interviewed for this job, I got the job, I was super excited. They said, you have 10 days to move to Quebec City. <laughs> pack which, your bags. Pack your bags, which I was not aware of when I uh, interviewed. But I said to myself, if I don't do this, I'm going to regret it for the rest of my life. And so I packed my bags and I moved to Quebec City and uh, got to work for Status of Women for a while and then had the honor of working for uh, two ministers of economic development, Raymond Bachan and now Senator Clément Gignac, uh, where I got the opportunity to help shape economic policy and uh, organize missions abroad with my ministers and with premiers. So I'm very honored. I got a lot of uh, amazing experience and having worked at the Darcy McGee Writing Office on the ground for six years, I think that I've been able to see both what it is to work in a cabinet and what it is to work on the ground. So all of that knowledge and experience together 
uh, gives me a unique perspective in how I can best serve constituents. You know, it's crazy. It's a crazy thing uh, to experience, and I, I, I certainly had the same experience you did, where everything is just go, 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 go. So like, you got the job, you're like, hey, yay, another job. And the next thing you know, it's like, look, pack your bags, you're gone. Everything, everything, like you're on your toes constantly. Yeah. Uh, and it's just a crazy reality politics. And we're just talking before we went on, before we record about, you know, you, you left about a year ago and you thought, look, thankfully, like, let me just have some, you know, breathe. room to breathe a little bit, right? Yep. Find some time back into my schedule, you know, get some free spots there, you know? And then it just, it, it just has a way to reel you back in. Yeah, well, it's it's in you. Like, you know, they say, uh, la bête politique, yeah. you, you either have the bug or you don't. And as much as you want to extricate yourself and distance yourself, I was still, you know, wa- uh, looking at the news every day. It's and so hard to disconnect. It's it, You can't. You can't because it's it's part, you're wired that way. Yeah. Your brain is wired when you hear things, how you dissect them and how you analyze them. Um, so although I left, I wasn't completely disconnected Um, and when the opportunity came up as my husband said if you don't do it you'll regret it for the rest of your life and he was the one who pushed me the most and I had to get permission from my son because obviously this is an impact on my family of course it's a it's a whole family thing people and people don't realize that right like it's not just it doesn't affect you and it's not just your decision it's your entire ecosystem yep yeah, so I wanted my, I really want my son to get a sense of why I'm doing this. So I'm bringing him on door to door with me. Wow. I'm bringing him to volunteer with me at Multicaf because I want him to understand the time I'm taking away from my family is to help, you know, right. larger society. And I want to instill in that that in him too. So it's very important for me that my family be supported. Does he understand how 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 is he how is he taking it all in? Uh, so he's 11 years old. Okay. Um, so he is excited because he, my his friends are seeing my pictures yeah, everywhere. Yeah, your face is everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Which makes me, ugh, that's the part of politics I like the least. Um, but he's excited about it and I'm just trying to explain to him, you know, why I'm doing this and the issues that impact him. You know, Bill 96, uh, we are Anglophones. Well, so under Bill 96, I'm not recognized as an Anglophone by the government anymore mm. because I didn't have uh, eligibility to go to English school. So my sons and my husband are Anglophones, but in the eyes of the government, I'm not allowed to define who I am. And minorities should always be defined by themselves and never by governments. Right. And so that was one of the important reasons why I wanted to run and I want my son to understand the impact of that as well. We're going to get back to Bill 96 because I know that it's important, especially in the area that you're running in. Uh, people are very much affected by it and they're very much preoccupied by, um, by that bill. But before we get there, tell me a little bit about Darcy McGee. I've come here, like, I I can't even, I don't even know how many times I've been here. Like, (laughs) probably less than two. I don't know. It feels like it's so off on the map. It is. It's especially Cote St. Luke and Hampstead are kind of isolated geographically. But it's an interesting riding because you have Snowden, you have Cote de Neige, you have Cote St. Luke and you have Hampstead, which are very different realities um, and very different communities, too. So it's a matter of, you know, understanding what are the issues that on a day-to-day basis, you know, whether it be housing or access to healthcare, that we all have that common thread, but also identifying the needs of the particular uh, neighborhoods in the riding. Right. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit, just because also you have that experience in politics. This has been a very slow start for the, for, for the, for the Quebec Liberal Party. I mean, in all the years that I've been involved, I don't think I've seen anything like this. I, I, I want to get your uh, take on this, but 
you know, we started with, I mean, I think it's the first time ever, I, I, I remember ever this happening, that we didn't have a full slate of candidates mm-hmm. at the beginning of the elections. And my God, I mean, we knew the elections were coming this year in October. It's not like it was a surprise, like it used to be back in the day, yeah. right? Uh, resignations within the first week. It feels like as though the party scrambled to just find anyone to just throw there and their families and just, we want to get done with this. We don't want this embarrassment anymore. Have you ever, like, I've never seen this. I think it's a combination of, uh, in general, there's a certain disenfranchisement with politics in the last few years where people um, don't feel uh, the connection maybe that they used to. And so it's, you know, it's harder to convince people to open themselves up publicly. Uh, You know, people get scrutinized for things they said on social media 10 years ago for different positions they had. So I think people in general are more reluctant to uh, throw their name into the public sphere of politics. Uh, But I mean, at the end of the day, we, we have our 125 candidates. And I think when you look at some candidates like myself or Desiree McGraw in NDG or Michel Sedlaque in Montreal Outremont, we're all people who live on the ground, who, you know, live in these communities, understand our neighbors and have an intimate understanding of the realities uh, that uh, our communities face. And we are best placed to be able to address those because we're speaking on uh, from a first hand, from a first person perspective for the people we want to represent. Right. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the uh, the Anglo community and the whole you know thing surrounding the English speaking communities as well. I, I just want to go back uh, to the time, and I think you were still working there. Dominic Anglade becomes a leader, and almost immediately there seems to be this urgency of reaching out to the regions. And I remember back in the day there were a lot of you know experts and analysts, even quite a few members in the party, that were thinking, you know what, is is this the best uh, strategy, right? Mm-hmm. Are, are, are we headed into a trap where we might lose our base? And I remember the position back then was, no, we got to reach out to the regions, and you know she launched that whole you know, Quebec-wide tour, uh, working on and promoting the, the, the Charter of mm-hmm. Regions. Um, fast forward, whatever, it's been two years almost. Um, we're looking at the numbers in Montreal and it's never been this low, right? I mean, last weekend, I think there was a Gazette, the, the Gazette issued a, a poll specifically for the Greater Montreal area. And the Liberals are at 28, CAC 24, Quebec Solidaire 19. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we factor in uh, the margin of error, and in, in my experience, that's as close as it gets to a three-way race, which is a devastating thing for the Liberal Party. And again, something that we've never seen before. What happened there? Well, I think there's definitely a lot of rebuilding to do. I think that um, we have to go and regain people's trust. I think that the way Bill 96, for instance, was handled could have been uh, a lot better. I think that ultimately we are the only party that voted against Bill 96, 21 and 40 at the National Assembly and we're the only ones today who are willing to repeal them and stand up for those communities and say that uh, those are wrong and not just wrong for the Anglophone and minority communities but wrong for all of Quebec. They're bad economic bills, uh, telling French students that they can't go to English CGEP and they can't be bilingual but pushing Anglophones to be bilingual is, you know, putting them in a box. I think that uh, the Liberal Party, as I said, we, we're, we're here to, 
talk to people individually and make them understand that at the end of the day, we're the only party that's going to represent all Quebecers, whether it be in the regions, whether it be Francophones, whether it be Anglophones, whether it be cultural minorities. Um, every party is willing to represent a segment of Quebec uh, society, but I think we're the only ones who are really, rep really ready to represent all of them. So how do you reach out to the English-speaking uh, Quebecers? There seems to be this sentiment on the ground, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I had your colleague and our friend André Fortin who told me, you know, George, look, at the end of the day, I'm doing the door-to-door -door and the English-speaking people seem to be on board with us. But let's be honest here, I mean, he's in a region two and a half hours away from Montreal. The reality is very much different. You're facing a completely different reality where there's two new parties that have been created specifically to attack the government on Bill 96 and to win support, especially in the region of Montreal. So you're affected immediately by that. Uh, and we've heard so many people, so many leaders from the English uh, community uh, came uh, that, that came out to say that you know they weren't consulted uh, and nobody spoke to them and this decision was made without them even knowing. Uh, do you feel like they've lost their trust in the Liberal Party? To a certain extent, and, and I think that's the importance of doing door-to-door -door and speaking to people because in my experience so far, every time, the, most, the, the issue that I most... Uh, asked about when I get to the door is Bill 96. And how is it? What, what's, the, what's the feel on the ground? Uh, there is a feeling that the community, as you said, wasn't properly represented, wasn't properly consulted, um, felt somewhat abandoned. And my job and, and to do this genuinely, because I genuinely think there were mistakes, and it's okay to admit that we make mistakes, mm -hmm. but we have to learn from them. Yeah. And so it's reminding people that we're the only party that uh, voted against those bills, that is ready to fight for those bills, uh, fight against those bills. Uh, you have the two fringe parties that while, you know, their message is somewhat similar to us, they're not ready to speak on behalf of all Quebecers. Um, so if they were to get to the National Assembly, they would be isolated. It would be difficult for them to collaborate with the other parties. And, you know, their party's running on an issue. Yeah. And there's a lot of issues that affect us. Language obviously is one of them. But like I said, housing, the economy, healthcare, the environment. So to really limit yourself to, to one issue, I don't think is really speaking on behalf of your constituents. Right. Tell me a bit of the challenges over here. Like you mentioned, I mean, you have four districts that are completely different one from another, uh, both demographically, uh, socioeconomically. Uh, what are the different challenges that you think that you think people are facing over here, aside from obviously Bill 96, which seems to mm -hmm. be predominant uh, on the ground? Well, uh, we have, this is one of the ridings with the highest uh, concentration of seniors in Canada. Right. Um, and one of the issues that I want to take on personally is caregivers. Uh, I have a son who has special needs and, you know, there's a lot of kind, there's a lot of types of caregivers, whether you're taking care of your senior parent, you're taking care of a child with special needs or a family member. And uh, it's hard enough in life to take care of ourselves sometime. And when you add the responsibility of uh, someone else, I don't think that the government recognizes the, uh, the, the impact uh, and the, the input that those people have. And there are not enough resources. There's not enough respite resources. And so I really want to be a voice um, on behalf of uh, those communities because you, we, we couldn't survive in, 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 our, in our riding without caregivers for, for different individuals. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think that's one thing that we have in common across the riding is 
there's a regardless of its anglophone community or cultural community it's a very strong family bonds and a very uh, strong sense of responsibility towards our family members so that is something that uh, is very important for me but at the end of the day regardless of how different Cote St. Luke, Hampstead, Stoden and Cote Neige might be the issues are often the same uh, housing, uh, how am I going to get access to a doctor, when am I going to have surgery, um, inflation and all of the, um, the all of that, 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 all that that brings along. So even though on the surface they may seem very different, at the end of the day, we're all uh, human beings affected by the same issues, maybe in a little bit different way, but we're all concerned with the same things. The fact that you worked here for so long, I mean, it must give you a certain edge over the other candidates. No, I mean, you must have a certain advantage uh, just by the knowledge of the issues and everything that you've already done and the accomplishments uh, that you've been part of uh, in the area. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to run for this riding is because I know this riding. I, I grew up here. I spent six years helping people with immigration issues, uh, healthcare issues, Revenue Quebec issues, um, so and meeting different organizations and individuals, helping them. So it, it really gave me a sense of the realities on the ground. Uh, and it was really exciting when I was announced as the candidate to, um, to, to, fight, to, to develop those relationships with people that I'd already met in my six years who were very happy and supportive uh, because we had worked together and they, they understood what I could bring um, into the, what I could bring to the riding in terms of representing it in Quebec City. Tell me a bit of the priorities. Obviously, you know the riding very well. You have you know, you're, you're a major part already of the track record that uh, the former MNAs have had here. Uh, what is it that you want to bring? I want people to know that if there is an issue, we are going to work with them as much as we can to either explain the mechanisms that work around it or try and find a solution for them. Uh, because I have a lot of government experience, I understand uh, the way government works and I understand how to work within government and so whether it's a uh, community organization or it's an individual we're there to accompany them we're there to inform them and we're there to ultimately try and resolve their issue within the government framework I want to ask you a little bit about <clears throat> the polls and I know that you know for all those years we've always been coached you know, we don't comment on the polls, but we've always paid attention to them because it gives you an idea, like at a certain moment in time, right, where people are situated. Oftentimes they've been wrong. Sometimes they've been right, however. So it's very difficult sometimes to gauge if the polls are on the right, uh, you know, in the right direction or not. Uh, it doesn't look very good for the Liberal Party. And you're obviously on the ground. You're talking with your other colleagues, uh, the other candidates in your party. Do you feel that there's going to be a wind of change? Do you feel like the, 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 the platform is going to catch on? Because it feels like nothing really is sticking now. I think that when we get an opportunity to really talk about our platform, which what I appreciate about it is it's, it's real solutions for real problems. It's not convoluted policies and a lot of words. Uh, and throwing a lot of money at the issues, it's really looking at what are affecting people. So for instance, in regards to inflation, uh, we want to uh, ab uh, abolish tax on certain essential goods. We want to take a, uh, up to $4,000 abolish tax on uh, Hydro-Quebec. 
we want to freeze Hydro-Quebec rates because as we know they usually match inflation and considering where inflation now is now that would mm -hmm. be impossible for a lot of people. Uh, we want to eliminate the sales tax for first-time home buyers. We want to um, bring in, allow 70,000 immigrants to come in a year and make sure that the ones who have experience or education in the health and uh, health, the health and education sectors, their CSQs, their Certificate Selection du Québec, they're able to attain them more quickly so they can join the workforce right away. So I think when you look at you know inflation, housing, all the issues that are affecting us on a daily basis, we actually have real world solutions. And I think that when people, and at least the experience I've had so far when I'm talking to people and they're learning about this, it's really appealing to them because they understand how it's going to impact them on day one and for the next four years. Tell me a little bit about uh, you know the immigration. It's it's taken somewhat of a uh, center stage, which it really does, right? I mean, usually there's economic issues. Uh, health is usually on top there. Uh, immigration seems to be uh, has seems to have taken a, you know center stage, and specifically because of you know Premier Legault's comments, and it just doesn't end, right? I mean, he just keeps digging that hole. Yep. Um, is he doing this on purpose? I mean, are we misunderstanding something? Is he is he catering to a specific clientele like out in the regions that perhaps don't understand the reality that we uh, live in here in Montreal or in you know the greater metropolitan areas? Yeah, I find it very puzzling because we're going through an uh, unprecedented labor shortage, which he he's, seems to think is a good thing. The lower our uh, unemployment rate, the better it is, without understanding the consequences of what a labor shortage really means. We have 1,400 uh, teachers missing from uh, schools when they started a few weeks ago. We're desperately lacking people in the healthcare system. So I don't understand why he's taking... I mean, North America is a continent built on immigration and we rely on immigration because we have a low birth rate so i don't understand why he's suddenly attacking the very people that we're turning towards to um to fill those jobs that we desperately need but it's also painting them in a very negative way as if they're a problem in society and as if they're the cause of whatever you know of anything bad that could potentially happen well, a lot of the policies that Legault has put in place has been to divide Quebecers, whether it be 21, whether it be 96, and I think this is exactly going along that same strategy. It's us versus them, and I think it's a really sad place for Quebec to be because Quebec has always been a place that's thrived on its diversity, mm -hmm. and we've always prided ourselves on it. And now to tell people who have chosen to bring their talent and their families and settle in Quebec that, you know, we're not sure, you might be uh, the source of extremism, you might be the source of division, I think is really cruel and creating two tiers of citizens and is does nothing to advance the cause of Quebec. Because if you come to Montreal, you walk down the street, you'll hear five different languages, you can go eat in a restaurant from anywhere, and it's what we've always prided ourselves on. And to now look at that as a negative, I think is 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 not fair to those people and not fair to Quebec in general because for the people who don't live in Montreal to be told that that's the reality is really unfair because if they come to Montreal they'll see that people are just welcoming and just want to live together and have a good life. Liz, I know how busy campaigns are. I know that you're all over the place. I don't want to take up too much of your time. Uh, thank you so much for doing this, for taking even whatever amount of time it took uh, to do this. Uh, I want to wish you lots of luck during the campaign. A lot of success going forward and uh, I, I mean I'm, this is obviously very biased because we know our, we know each other and I, I just think that you'd be fantastic over here and I, I can't wait 
to see what you're going to do. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity and being able to catch up. Um, and uh, I hope that we have the opportunity to do it again if I'm elected on October 3rd. We will. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Thanks, Liz. Thank you.